You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Hey, Critters. Emily Kwong here. Okay, so the Omicron variant may be the latest plot twist in this pandemic. But remember, we have better tools for fighting COVID-19 than we did last year. And more are coming. NPR health reporter Ping Huang is here to talk about what is next for treatments. Hello, Emily. Hi, Ping. So good to see you. (laughs) Great to hear you and see you a little bit, too. Um, So in the last few weeks, Omicron has been spreading and there's increasing evidence that it has characteristics that it can evade the immune system better than Delta. So if someone's gotten COVID, they could still get this variant and they could have a breakthrough infection from it, even if they've gotten the vaccine. There's more evidence, too, that it spreads more quickly than the Delta variant. Yes, this has been hard news to digest. I got to be honest. Last week, we talked to Allison Aubrey before Omicron was spotted in the U.S. It's now been detected in several states. First came California, the first confirmed U.S. case of the coronavirus variant Omicron. But then, like a series of dominoes falling, came more cases identified in Colorado, Minnesota, New York, Hawaii. And in response, the Biden administration has urged fully vaccinated people to get a booster since boosters raise your antibody levels and that offers stronger protection against Omicron. Yep. And there's a lot of research into how vaccines will fight the variant. But many, many researchers are also working on treatments for COVID. Once a highly transmissible respiratory virus has been identified, it is likely spreading. And the most important thing is we can use is 2021 tools instead of 2020 tools. And 2021 tools are vaccinations and eventually antivirals. That's what's going to work. That's a good motto. Use the tools of the time. But these antivirals, these are the treatments that people are pretty excited about. Exactly. Yeah. And the FDA, in fact, is deliberating whether one treatment in particular, a pill by Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics, should be authorized for emergency use. We're talking on Monday morning, so there may even be a decision by the time that this episode is out on Tuesday. So today on the show, NPR science reporter Ping Huang on the state of treatments. What may be on the cusp of being authorized? What else is in the pipeline? And how treatments fit into the larger strategy of trying to put an end to the pandemic? This is Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. All right. So in the world of treatments, let's talk about the drug that's the furthest along. It's got quite a name. It's called Molnupiravir, and it's made by the drug company Merck. And this is kind of the first COVID pill out there, right? Yeah. And it's named after Mjolnir, Thor's mighty hammer. Get out. What? Thor from mythology in the comic books? Mm -hmm. Awesome. Mm -hmm. But moving on. This pill is the one the FDA is about to decide on authorizing for emergency Mm -hmm. use. Yeah, exactly. So how does this treatment work? So it's uh, it's an antiviral pill, and it's designed Mm -hmm. to stop the virus from copying and spreading itself throughout your body. So this type of pill, antiviral pills, work best in the early stages of disease. So you'd want to start taking them once you've tested positive for coronavirus and have just started showing symptoms. And they're most useful for people with mild to moderate COVID who are at high risk of getting worse, such as if you're older or have chronic kidney disease or cancer. Interesting. All right. So if you're taking them in early stages, the goal of these pills is to keep you out of the hospital. Exactly. Yeah. And they interfere with the virus's inner workings, which then helps your immune system fight it off better. Dr. Phyllis Tian from the University of California, San Francisco, describes it as giving your body a leg up. If 
your virus load comes down quickly, then your body doesn't have to like do as much work to like try to um, get rid of this virus. So the goal of these pills is to help people recover from COVID before they get super sick and go to the hospital or die from it. And advisors for the FDA debated its merits last week, and the FDA is expected to decide whether or not to authorize it soon. Ping, this sounds pretty promising. Are there any drawbacks? Yes, there are always caveats. And the Mm -hmm. irony is that it might not actually be the mighty hammer crushing COVID. So Mm. back in October, Merck released some interim findings saying our drug looks to be about 50% effective at reducing hospitalizations and deaths. And that would have been pretty decent. You know, it's kind of in the ballpark of how well Tamiflu works against flu. But then Mm -hmm. right after Thanksgiving, they said, actually, we finished analyzing the results and the drug is only 30% effective. Now, it doesn't seem like the company is being sketchy. You know, people who took molnupiravir had a pretty consistent rate of recovery throughout the study. But the reason that effectiveness dropped is because in the second half of the study, their placebo group, which was people who didn't get the drug, did better than they did in the first half. So the relative risk of reduction declined from 50-ish percent to 30 percent. I can imagine that was kind of disappointing for the researchers. Still, a 30 percent reduction is something. It just sounds like it wasn't as good as doctors and scientists had hoped. Yeah. Here's how Carl Diefenbach with the National Institutes of Health describes it. We need drugs. We need really effective antivirals, and we need more of them. And it'd be great if molnupiravir had held up because it would be in some ways an ace in the hole here, but it's not. But here's the Mm. thing, Emily. Um, The only other option available right now to prevent people with mild to moderate COVID from getting worse is monoclonal antibodies. Right. You're talking just about treatments that prevent hospitalization, unlike remdesivir and others, which are for people who are hospitalized with serious cases. Mm -hmm. So compared to this Merck pill, what do monoclonal antibodies do? They work by preventing viruses from entering your cells in the first place, and they're about 70 to 85 percent effective, but they're expensive to make and to administer. They require a lot of work to get. You know, someone with COVID goes to a clinic or a hospital, they get an IV infusion or a series of shots, and they have to stick around for an observation period after. Okay. So by comparison, even though the pill we've been talking about may only be 30% effective, it's a lot easier to get a hold of, mm-hmm. especially for people who might not have access to monoclonal antibodies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds like these pills could be a huge help. Yeah, exactly. And I should also point out that molnupiravir is a series of four pills taken twice a day for oh, okay. five days. So it's got a regimen of its own. And it's also important to start taking them as early as possible after symptom onset and to take the full course as instructed, even if you start feeling better before it's done. That's something that advisors to the FDA emphasized about this drug at a meeting last week. Mm. An FDA advisory panel discussed this drug at length last week. You were watching. Who'd you see in the room? Ooh, okay. So if you would permit me to nerd out for one second. Um, I do watch a lot of federal advisory committee meetings, and this was a great panel, definitely in my top five of this year. Um, (laughs) And like a lot of things these days, it was all remote. People videoed in from their homes and offices, but the presentations were so clear. The conversation flowed and they were on schedule to the minute people were engaged. 
This is unheard of in meetings. I know. I know. It was a really great meeting. (laughs) And the panel included some top doctors and infectious disease experts. There were 23 voting members. They were all smart, thoughtful people who were really thinking about how the pandemic affects the communities they serve. And they spent a full day hearing from Merck, hearing from FDA experts, and weighing the risks and benefits of this one drug. The whole thing was streamed live on YouTube. And in the end, they narrowly voted 13 in favor, 10 not, to recommend that the FDA authorize this drug for emergency use. Oh, why so narrowly? What were they discussing? Well, they had a lot of questions, and after hours of conversation, they still had more. There's just a lot of uncertainty around this drug. See, the way that this drug works is that it forces the virus to make random errors when it copies itself, and those errors lead to dead viruses that can't spread or infect new cells. It changes the virus's genetic code. So one concern that the panel had is whether the drug might also interfere with pregnancy, potentially causing birth defects. Here's Dr. Janet Cragen. She's a voting member of the committee and a medical officer at CDC. So I I don't think you can ethically say it's okay to give this drug in pregnancy, obviously. But at the same time, I'm not sure you can ethically tell a pregnant woman who has COVID-19 that she can't have the drug if she's decided that's what she needs. Pregnancy itself can be considered a risk factor for progression to severe COVID illness. I think the final decision has to come down to the individual woman and her care provider. So the FDA might deal with this by putting a big warning on the label for people who are pregnant. And the other big concern that the panel had discussed is escape mutants. Pardon me, escape mutants. What are those? So here's what it means. The drug forces the virus to make random errors and mutate itself to death. Uh But what if one of its random errors leads to a new variant that does spread? Here's Dr. James Hildreth, a panel member and president and CEO of Meharry Medical College, addressing Merck. You're purposely mutagenizing the virus, which means that the likelihood of escape mutants considerably stronger than it would be with those other kinds of treatments. Okay, so he's got this like theoretical concern that the drug could lead to the emergence of a new variant. Yeah, exactly. And this is very hypothetical at the moment and unlikely, but Hilda's point is that the risk is not zero, and if it happens, it could be a big problem. So let's review. This drug is the first COVID pill, Mm -hmm. but it is not perfect. Mm -hmm. It's only 30% effective, and there may be risks to pregnant people and the potential theoretically, for escape mutants. That's right, Emily. You basically just summarized the entire day's meeting in one sentence. And the panel did end up ultimately recommending it, though the FDA doesn't have to follow its recommendations. So it will be interesting to see what the FDA decides to do. Oh, okay. So any day now. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, Ping, that researchers are working on a variety of treatments. What else is in development right now? So there is another antiviral pill that the FDA is vetting right now. It's from Pfizer. Okay. We don't actually know a lot about this one yet. So far, what we have is a press release from the company. But Pfizer says that early analysis shows that their drug is 89% effective at reducing the risk of hospitalizations and deaths. 89%. That is a big... Jump in efficacy versus the 30% for the other pill. It is. And if it holds up, um, that's a big if right now, it would actually be comparable to monoclonal antibodies in terms of how well they work and, and they could really change how COVID gets treated. But Diefenbach at NIH um, reminded me that these are still first entries into the fields. I compare this to the first rounds of HIV drugs we had, which had other toxicities and other concerns. 
And Emily, I wanted to mention something else that Harvard's Dr. Rajesh Gandhi pointed out to me, that having a strong testing infrastructure has to be in place for these treatments to be effective. You have to have a testing strategy and program where you can, someone develops a symptom, they're able to get a test rapidly, and they're able to get a result quickly. Because um, if your test result takes five or six days to to come back, you're going to time out, meaning you, you won't have the benefit of that antiviral pill. Honestly, this is what I've been thinking about this whole time. Like, in order for these treatments to be effective, a person has to get them just at the right time. And the person needs to know that they are positive for COVID before that happens. Exactly. Right. Because it's an antiviral pill and its whole purpose is to stop the virus from spreading throughout your body before it does that a lot. So you need to Mm. get it early, which means getting access to frequent and accurate testing is super important here. And Ping, it seems also that when it comes to accessibility, having a drug that someone can take at home is good for the world. There's a lot of places where vaccines and monoclonal antibodies aren't available. Yes, this could be a literal lifesaver, especially in countries where it's hard to get these other tools. Merck and Pfizer have both signed licensing deals with the Medicines Patent Pool. It's a group that's backed by the United Nations, and that actually opens up the door for factories to start making generic versions of these drugs. See, right now, the U.S. is paying $700 for each course of Merck's treatment, and the generics could come down to $10 to $20 a course for countries that qualify. So it could make these pills a lot more available cheaply and quickly, especially in low- and middle-income countries. Ping, thank you for this extremely thorough reporting, a look into the future of treatment. Um, It's been awesome to have you on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Emily. This episode was edited by Giselle Grayson, produced by Thomas Liu, and fact-checked by Rasha Aridi. The audio engineer for this episode was Stu Rushfield. I'm Emily Kwong, and thank you for listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR.